Well, this is The New Activist, a weekly show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you as we hear from today, Austin Channing Brown. I have been following Austin for a long time and have never had the privilege to meet her until this conversation. I've seen her speak. I have read her blog. Her blog, by the way, is Destination Reading. You got to pay attention to her blog. But Austin um, has more than a decade of studying and writing on racial identity, and she is able to speak uh, just laser-focused, crystal-clear truth as she talks about race and pain and systemic inequality and the need for understanding and engagement and justice, but she does this all with a Christ-like kingdom perspective. The needle that she threads is indeed a very difficult one, but she does it with amazing grace and humor. She's so funny and kindness and warmth and is also very challenging. I'm not quite sure how she does it. Anyhow, I have been excited to talk to Austin for a long time but I am particularly excited because she is in the midst of launching her brand new book. It's called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And I started reading this book and was shattered. This uh, interview is not about me and this is not about my feelings, but there are some books you know in your life that stick out as moments that there was sort of a before and after moment. I think about when I first read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and there was a fundamental understanding of God that shifted because of what C.S. Lewis was able to do. And the issues that that Austin Channing Brown talks about in I'm Still Here, and the way she puts it, and the way she weaves her memoir in uh, has really changed me. And so I feel quite lucky to have been able to speak with her and also for us to be able to learn from her together. So without further ado, here is the conversation I was honored to have with Austin Channing Brown. Well, Austin Channing Brown, this is a real privilege for me to get to chat with you um, because I very rarely so strongly recommend a book in my whole life. Even like oh. I've never, I, but I bought four cop. I bought four copies today. You did not. For, I did for people that I feel, feel very impassioned that they need to read this book, and <laughs> not only will I give it to them, but I will pester them about this. Um, I love it. You, well, you've just done really something remarkable, and if if I may ask you a complete hacky interview question, Do which it. is. Could you give us a synopsis of your new book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness? Probably not. Um, (laughs) I'm still figuring out what she is. Um, I think this is, I think this is two things. I think this is me trying to say to other black women who navigate predominantly white spaces, I see you and you have not lost your minds. Mm. Your reality is true. Your experience is true. Um, white folks really are exhausting. Um, and <laughs> let me just right and let me just say I, that laughing, I love not, you. And no, I I'm see not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's just <laughs> so freaking true. <laughs> and I love that you said it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And right? so I'm sorry to interrupt. So you're saying no. I hear you and I see you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because um, because when you are the only one in the office or in the ministry or in the organization or whatever, you really start mm. to feel like maybe maybe it's me. Maybe mm. I am actually losing my grip on reality. Um, 
And so I really wanted to say, you are not, you are not, you are not. Um, and you're still here too. Um, and then the second thing, of course, I was very aware that white people are going to read this book too. And I, I really wanted to write a book that was for folks who are already committed to racial justice, who already occupy progressive spaces, but are asking the question, what's next? Like, what is, what is left to do? Um, and so I do that. I try to do both of those things, um, by telling my own story and sort of weaving together my story and what I think about race. Yeah. I, it is fascinating that you answered that way. Cause my next question was like, who is this for? And you, and you, of course you answered it yeah. because it's just so fascinating that part of the book, I felt like, um, you know, for black women, there's mm-hmm. a lot in it. That's just uh, like you're speaking to them and there's yeah. education and there's bullet points and lists and yeah. here's how to do this. It's like, <laughs> let, you get very practical, yeah. but then there was also part of it. I think it was chapter, oh yeah, chapter six, where you go through and you timestamp the day. Mm-hmm. There was part of it that I was like, I think black women are just saying like, yeah, I know. Like this is, exactly. like, I think I was driving to see a movie last night and crying as I listened to the book. And oh. I think everybody else was just like, yeah, no, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that was Tuesday. Like right. that's how it goes. <laughs> I don't mean to make light of it. And why. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was really interesting. Um, <laughs> um, you open the book with, uh, and it really is just a beautiful memoir. Oh, thank you. It's, um, and I want to get into how you write later because yeah, just a I'd great writer. Yeah, I'd love to talk writer, about that. We can, thank you. Um, you open it, though, with Austin as a little girl. And yes. you speak really beautifully and candidly about how your parents prepared you for adulthood, specifically adulthood as a black woman. And I'm curious if you were raising you, what would you have done similarly or differently? Oh, Lord have mercy. So (laughs) I, I am right. So I have a son (laughs) now. Um, and I'm, thinking about that a lot. (laughs) So the thing at the top of my list right now, so I've been taking care of him um, myself. We haven't put him in daycare yet, but that will be the next step. So he'll be a year old at the end of the summer. And we feel like that's a good time for him to begin to socialize with someone other than me. That's right. Good for you. Right. Good (laughs) for all of us. Um, But I'm really concerned about where we will send him. And part of that is just new parent concern. Right. But Mm -hmm. also I've got a little black boy and the likelihood that I'm going to find a daycare that is either one filled with other kids of color or mm-hmm. is staffed by people of color, um, mm-hmm. is the, the odds are not in my favor. Mm. So I got to really figure out um, where I'm going to send him. And when I begin to check out daycares, you know, those are questions that I'll be asking and I'll be looking at mm. the faces of all the little kids and trying yeah. to figure out whether or not I can trust the staff to treat my little boy um, the way they would treat all the other little kids. So... Yeah, I'm still figuring it out. But I, I guess I'm curious with that. Like, there was so much stuff that you talked about how I think it was your mom who mm-hmm. said when you went and, like, you put your hands in your in your yeah. overalls, right? And she yeah. said, don't hide your hands in there. Yep. Um, will you – do you feel like some of those messages will be – repeated from you to him or do you think that or, or I, I, I guess I'm just I, yeah, yeah go no ahead. I think we have to I think yeah. I think my husband and I have to um yeah. the you know the the Black Lives Matter movement has been extraordinarily exciting for me um and yeah. inspiring for me as an activist 
Um, but it's also terrifying as a parent. Yeah. Right. And so I, for my son's safety, like as much as safety as I can provide him, I feel like I have to. And teaching him about how the world is going to respond to his body is part of the preparation for his safety. And it doesn't guarantee safety, but it's the best I've got as a parent, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think so. I think my husband and I are absolutely going to have to say, here's your best shot at keeping yourself safe. Yeah. What about any of the parts where, and I really am not trying to dig in with your parents, but I'm just, I I just, it's fascinating to me to hear your book and uh, and, and to read your book. And by the end of it, you know, there's the letter to your son and now you're a parent and and you're actually like, yeah, you've, but you've like turned (laughs) like you're, you, you've kind of gone back to the beginning of your book in a way in your life. It, it seems, um, what about any of like, like your, can you tell a story about why your parents explained to you that they named you Austin? <laughs> yeah. So Austin is a family name. And yeah. so all, you know, growing up, I was just told over and over again that it was a family name. Yeah. And one day I just got really, really annoyed. So I was very used to people assuming that I was going to be a boy. Yeah. Um, you know, teachers on the first day of class would always look at the boys section when they would do roll call <laughs> and I'd be in the opposite side of the room doing cartwheels like, hello, I'm over here. Yeah. Um, so that was all very, very normal. Um, but I went to, to the library one day and handed the library in my card and she was like, is this your card? And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, well, I think <laughs> I'm pretty yeah, sure I handed yeah. you my card. Um, yeah. and she was like, are you sure? this card says Austin. And I said, oh yeah, that's me. Right. Prepared, like totally understanding what just happened here. She thought I was going to be a boy. Right. And, um, I said, yeah, that's me. That's my library card. And she asked me again if I was sure. And I was like, um, I don't even understand the question. Like, am I sure I'm Austin? Like, I don't, (laughs) it's like really not computing. I don't know my, like, I don't understand (laughs) what is happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was the fact that she just like, she wouldn't let it go. Like there was no recovery. She didn't go, Oh, that's you. Okay. Um, and so I did, I marched over to my mother and I was like, what in the world? Why did you give me this name? Yeah. And she said, you know, she tried to give me the family history thing again. And I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I know where it comes from. Uh, why did you choose it? I'm asking a very specific question. Yeah. And she said to me, Austin, we knew that anyone who saw your name would assume that you were a white male. And we just really wanted to make sure that when you started applying for college or applying for jobs, that, you know, you could make it to the interview. And yeah. I was like, huh. <laughs> right? I was yeah. like, hmm, that's interesting. And I was so young. I, the whole thing didn't compute at that moment. But... It rang true because my brain started scrolling through every time I had ever heard someone say the name Austin and they weren't talking to me, right? So he's like in the library and someone's like, Austin. And I'm like, oh, is that me? I'm like, oh no, they're talking to that kid over there. That kid hmm. over there was not always, always a boy. Also always white. And I was huh. like, huh, it's true. I have never met another Austin that is black like me. So yeah, so I didn't I don't know. I just hmm. like took her at her word for it. It was like, okay, I don't yeah. know what this means exactly, but I'm accepting it. Yeah, how have you reconciled that at with age? 
you know, I still hated it when I was a kid. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, why yeah. did I not get a traditional girl's name? I do not understand. Yeah. Um, but I love it. The, the older I got, the more I loved it. Um, yeah. And the, the truth is, it, my parents, I think their little game plan worked better than they ever anticipated. Mm. Uh, because it still happens on a very, very regular basis, even though there's so many names now that we have, like, ungendered or degendered. Yeah, I don't know right. what the word is. Right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. But still, even even now, like, even when I place an order for food for, like, takeout or carryout, I confuse <laughs> people. Because they're like, who's, <laughs> who's picking it up? And I'm like, Austin. And they're like, oh, so your husband? No, me. Like, but you said Austin, right? And right. I'm like, why are we having a conversation about this? Can you just write down Austin? I don't understand. It, it is kind of a funny thing, though, like how you never ask if someone's pregnant ever, no matter how clearly <laughs> pregnant they are. Right. Like, you just, cool, for Austin, great. We'll have it right. ready in 15 well, minutes. I mean, like, it what? really <laughs> confuses people. And I think it's yeah. because it's both. Because... When folks meet me, I didn't meet the expectation for gender or race. <sighs> Thanks for sharing all that. I know you probably have to talk about the origin story of your name more than you ever wanted to, but it was so interesting. Um, so I, uh, th- this next question was almost the biggest mistake of my life because I was going to read an excerpt of your book, and then I thought <laughs> on a thousand levels. I mean. <laughs> Like, if you step outside this on a thousand levels, am I not the worst voice to read your words? <laughs> That's so funny. I was, but I was like so comfortable, but I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So, um, <laughs> could I trouble you? There's a, Absolutely. In, 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 in chapter six, there was a moment that I, uh, just wanted to camp out on and I was wondering mm-hmm. if we could hear from you, um, a, a bit of that. Absolutely. It usually begins with a job interview. Overcompensation is hard to resist in this moment. When you need a job and are genuinely drawn to the work described in the job posting, it's tempting to sit in that seat and say all the right things, laugh the right laugh, extend all the right jokes. The goal, after all, is to impress. Do I make myself more likable? Do I use references to movies, music, books that I know the folks around the table would appreciate? References that would imply I am just like you. Sometimes I just want to prove I can do it, that I can make them comfortable, make them believe. But the question is always, is it worth it? Oh, man. So (laughs) could I could I um, trouble you to dig into that a bit? Because I'm aware that there are going to be some people that are listening and going, wait, my friend at work isn't doing that. They're they're not (laughs) making references. Like, can you... (laughs) I mean, I guess the answer is yes, they might be, but I'm just curious if you can kind of camp out on that for a moment. Yeah. So I want to make it as like practical as I possibly can. And it's so hard, but I'm going to try really, really hard. So, um, so white folks often assume that they are normal. (laughs) Right. That, that they are the standard for normal, that their lives are are not particular, are not cultured, are not just normal. So everyone is experiencing what they are experiencing. Hmm. And white folks, therefore, get very used to referencing music. Um, So let's stay in the churchy world. Let's say Cress Tomlin or... 
that's the only example I can even give. No, that was a pretty, um, <laughs> that was a pretty white example. Right. <laughs> and no shade to Chris Tomlin. I just would no. not know who Chris Tomlin was if that's I was right. not around white people. Right. That's, that's my point. Right. He um, is our baseline. He is our, you course. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so, and so, so white folks will say things like, Oh my gosh, I just went to that Chris, this Chris Tomlin concert and it was amazing. Were you there last night? And so now it's like, oh my goodness, yes, I've been playing that CD on repeat and my daughter and I, we just love it. And then somebody else at the table, oh, I had a chance to meet him one day, right? And the black mm. person at the table is like, I have no idea who the hell y'all are talking about. Right, that's right. Right. Like, that's right. Like that's I right. couldn't point him out in a lineup. I couldn't name a song. I couldn't, like I got nothing. Hmm. And, and the level of one isolation that that makes you feel when you're like, I don't, everyone at this table is having a conversation about a particular thing and no one realizes that I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then yes. the second is, is the audacity in that right to assume that your experience is being shared by everyone at the table. Um, and so it does, it becomes really difficult. So I, for example, walk into a room and, you know, at the end of the interview, they sort of power through 20 questions, right? So what was the last book you read? So what is the latest album you've been investing in? What, right? And right. I could give like all white answers, right? I could be like, oh, the right. last thing I listened to, Chris Tomlin, <laughs> right? Like, that's right. Not, not Chance the Rapper. That's not the last thing I listened to. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Beyonce wasn't who I just turned off on my phone. That's not, that's, that's not real. Right, um, right. <laughs> right. And right. so that's, that's really tempting to sit in a room, especially when you need the job and think to yourself, should I pretend that I'm more like you than I actually am? Should I mm. buy into your notion that we are all the same, even mm. when we're not? Then I would assume by that that you have at certain points in your life made the choice to do that. Oh my goodness. Uh, yes. Yeah. Early in my professional career, right out of college. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's real funny because my mom was concerned, right? Going back to the name of the story of my name. Yeah. Um, she 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 ended that conversation by saying, Now once you get to the interview, we know you'll blow them away. Like you'll charm the pants off anyone. Uh, but we just had to get you to the interview, right? So now, adult, right? And I'm thinking, oh, she's right. I could charm the pants off them. Right? Nice. Like, I, I could. You can. Um, it cost me too much, honestly. It cost what is me the, way too much. Yes, and, and that's the question. What may I? What is the cost yeah. for you? What's the cost even broadly for society? Like, what do we mm, lose when, when you do that? Yeah, so... For me, it's, it's losing a sense of self. Um, it is an inability to, um, to be reminded of who I am. Um, so I'll give you one specific example. So in the black church, um, folks pray very differently than they do in like, <laughs> um, many white spaces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's being very general. There are certainly like Pentecostal white spaces, but, right. um, yeah, you know, prayers sort of like get layered on top of each other. There's no yeah. like one person in charge of the prayer. Um, you know, it, prayer right. sounds a lot like singing, right? Like right. There's, right. there's a lot going on when black yeah. folks start praying together. That's, that's right. Corporately. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, when white people do, it's more like, hello, Jesus. 
thank you so much for this beautiful day. Right. Right. And after, right. after a few years of being surrounded by that, I was like, can I still pray like a black person? I'm not sure that I could. Uh, I remember going back to like my parents' church and thinking, please don't call on me to do anything. Uh, because it's been a long time since I've exercised that particular muscle. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be over here just shouting the amens that pepper the prayer. <laughs> yeah. Because this is something I haven't done in a really long time. Um, so that's just one example, right? That, that you slowly begin to just not exercise the muscle of who you are, of what your talents are, of what your skills are. I'll tell you another area that this happens in that I think we'll talk about like the church or like society, what we lose. Right. Um, I have a lot of vocalist friends who um, are called upon to sing all the Chris Tomlin songs, right? <laughs> Every yes. single Sunday. Yes. And then MLK comes and all of a sudden they want a hip hop, right? Um, um, yeah. That's right. The spoken yeah. word, right? And I and I have friends who are like, this is really difficult. Like you're, you're expecting me to like turn my culture on and off. Hmm. And that's a really difficult thing for me to do. Like you want me to practice being like you. And then when it serves you, you want me to try and pull out <laughs> my right. culture, right? And put it on display to make you all feel good. And like, I need you to pick one. Like either we're just going to do... <laughs> this baseline right. all the time, and I will do it as well as I possibly can for you. Um, or please give me the freedom to be myself. <laughs> like right. let's let's make the spoken word like once a month. Like let's like, let's yes. let's not make it this like special thing. Let me be myself all the time. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think a lot gets lost for both the individual, but also for what the church or society could be experiencing um, if we were really allowed to be our full selves. That is a really profound loss to not be able or or to not remember almost not remember how to speak to God in your most natural yeah. voice and yeah. language and vernacular. Yeah. Like for me too, because I do I do pray like a very white person. Like and I and like unashamedly, <laughs> and okay. like I do I do speak in lovely formal letters to God. Right. <laughs> right? But that's like but that's but that's true. That's true for me, right? But yeah. that would be unfair yeah. to impose that uh yeah i'm just as a really random question at uh at churches like in black churches they don't have like tyler the youth director come and lead a song every <laughs> once in a while do they like it doesn't go the other way right no <laughs> that does like i wasn't trying That's to be a really fun, good like, question like it would no. be one thing if it was like oh an interesting exchange but i guess not well yeah, okay no. so if you so, if you're if you're a white person who walks into a black church you better just be prepared to do it a black way, which yeah. is ultimately what white folks are doing, right? But what makes it upside down is that it's the only space where black folks can really be themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, and all the rest of society, for the most part, we are constantly bending to the will of whiteness. After the passage that you read in that chapter, you break into one of, uh, and, and I've seen a lot of people actually tweet about it. You walk through a day and you, it was intense. Well, I guess it's your day, but, right. but just the writing of it was nonstop. It felt like it was just like left punch, right punch. Mm -hmm. And you timestamp mm -hmm. the, yeah. basically a day full of injustice. I mean, one of them, I mean, the first one I think is like, 
and I'm sorry, I'm not reading it, but it's like 8.55. You're asked three times if you need directions to some sort of social services, and the white coworker who is behind you isn't asked anything. And the message that that sends you yeah. is is like not positive. But right. I, I'm curious, just on a real practical level, was that really one day or was it an amalgamation of days? You know, it's tough. That's a, that's a really a tough question to answer. So... Um, yes and no, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah. like some some days it, the hits really do just keep coming, and you're just like, when can I go home? Um, and then other days it's just the the punch at lunch, or it's just yeah. the right. Why did I leave and go get coffee? Why didn't I just stay in my office? Um, you know, and 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 you never know. And I think that's that's what um, I really want to say about that is that yes. I wake up in the morning. And I never know, right? It could be a great day or it could start bad and end bad Um, and only have to do with people responding to my race, right? Like it's not, it's not that I failed on the project. It's not right. Like it's not bad because maybe I should have prepared more or (laughs) bad because something happened in the agency. Like it's, it's a bad day because people are constantly confused about how to respond to my body. Yeah, it it did not feel and it clearly was not an exaggeration, which I think was the right. Part, like it right. was, was just a, a crushing part of the memoir to read. How does it affect your psyche living? Oh, man. Uh, again, I'm sorry, I'm asking, I'm basically <laughs> taking you through a beat at a time through the book. <laughs> Everybody needs to know that I haven't gotten to anything by it, read it. But I'm just curious, like, <laughs> I feel like I'm wrecking your your thing here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know, the reason I I wrote the How to Survive yeah. um, <laughs> yes, Racism yeah. in an organization yes. that claims to be anti-racist yes. is because of that exact reason. It's because of the question you just asked. Huh. Um, because it is hard. It is really, really difficult. And I tell you, part of what's difficult is that it takes a while to even recognize what the message being sent is. Yes. Right? So so we'll take the first one. I'm be, I'm asked three times, right, rather yeah. than I'm looking for social services. Right. And and the first, right, the first thought is, oh, they're just trying to be helpful. Like that's that's kind of them. Like I'm mm-hmm. not, but that's really nice. Yes. Right? And then you like realize, oh, I'm the only one being asked. Like I can hear there are other people behind me. Like I saw yeah. my coworker come in the door like, "Oh, well, what's that about? Right. And, but then you want to be like, but it's not a problem if I was right. And so it's this like weird, like, what is the message that is being sent to me when this happens? Um, so that's part of it, right. Is even just trying to think through what is this? And then it's trying to become healed from it. Right. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. And, And that's why when I wrote the book, I, really had black women at the forefront of my mind with every single sentence. Hmm. Um, In fact, much of my editing process was thinking through how are black women going to read the sentence? How will this hit them? Hmm. How will this feel for them? And is it true to our experience? Um, Because the toll of being around white folks is high. That's (laughs) right. It's really high. Hmm. To that end, there are 
going to be and black women listening to this podcast that just heard you like talk about how to survive racism racism <laughs> in an organization that appears to not be racist yeah. and like and like right now the floor just dropped out because it's not like they <laughs> right it's not like they're just realizing but you've just given words to something that they've and I'm guessing that they knew to be true like there's an, probably an awakening what would you offer as and in the book just to be clear you offer a lot of steps but just in the immediate between hearing you talk yeah. now and reading the podcast, what would you offer as just a, a practical response to that mm -hmm. sc scary and sad realization? Yeah. Um, I really would say that you, um, one, that you haven't lost your mind, um, that your experience is real and true, whether anyone wants to acknowledge that or affirm that. Um, and two, you stay and you make change for as long as you want to. And when you're done, be done. Mm. To the same person that is listening and who's just realizing that about their church. Um, mm -hmm. cause that's, I don't, I, I guess, I mean, how do you, how do you respond to them? Yeah. Church is, they're both complicated in different ways. Right. Yes, so the right. job is complicated because most of us need a paycheck. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. right. And so the trick there is, is probably that you got to figure out your exit strategy yeah. before <laughs> you just yes. like throw on that two week notice. Yes. Um, the church is altogether different because most people choose the church because they feel called by God to be at that church. Yes. And who am I to say that God didn't call you to that church, right? Yeah. So um, to that person, I would say, has God still called you? <laughs> right? Like he, right. Right. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps God did, but um, has, is, the, is the call continuing? Have you finished <laughs> the good work? Can you now shake the dust from your sandals? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, and if not, then I would say to get real clear about why you're still there and what you can do and what you can't do, um, because you can make change, right? That's, I fully believe in the possibility of creating change, yeah. um, but you can't change an entire church by yourself. So what can you do? Can you form a book club? Can you start a ministry for the people of color in your church? Can you start a class? to teach folks about racial justice, like, like what is in your power to do so that you still feel like you're fulfilling the call God has called you to, mm. um, without taking on the entire weight of changing the system of the church. That's, mm. that's not fair. It's not mm. fair to put that weight on folks. Mm. I, I have found something fascinating because I have seen you speak a number of times. I saw you years ago at, I think, the Justice Conference in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And uh, and then, of course, on Twitter, you're just very, I like, I love your, <laughs> I love your Twitter. Um, and, and I'm a the, little vocal on the Twitters. I, I do love it. You don't ever play on Twitter, and I really like it because um, everybody else is just saying things, so why not speak truth? <laughs> why not? Um and then, but also in a bunch of interviews, and I noticed over and over again that you're very funny, uh, which <laughs> I think you're very funny. So not that I'm like the great judge of funny, but I'm just always amazed at how funny it. you are. Yes. Do you know why you're funny? I... <laughs> Have you always been funny? Is everybody in your family funny? Like how I did- I did you ask that question. How'd you get- <laughs> um, 
I, I, I honestly, I do think that everyone in my family is hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, truthfully, this is going to sound maybe a little crazy, but I think there are a lot of black folks who are hilarious. Like, I think humor is so rich in the black community. Yes. And it just takes different forms, right? But the number of things that we manage to laugh our way through um, or the, the, the places that we can find hilarity, um, I think is just unmatched, quite frankly. And I think this is why black Twitter is a thing. <laughs> because <laughs> our right like our ability to build on one another yeah. and to find yeah to find joy even in the most absurd things in the world um is just unparalleled Pre- so um i also just think like race is absurd and so as we talk about it i just feel like we should laugh like i just i think there are times when the race conversation is serious and when it's really emotional and there are definitely moments in the book where it, it even when I'm reading it that I am clearly very emotional about yes. what I'm reading yeah um so it's not that race is funny all the time but it also can't just be like sad and depressing all the time <laughs> either right. like it is so ridiculous how are we not all laughing about this so yeah. I really appreciate that because I think talking about race should sometimes be fun like you should leave feeling like alive and awake to the world um, not always like sad and depressed and wanting to crawl under the covers. Yeah, it's just fascinating the way you use humor because you use it, even in this interview, you've used it as a vehicle to say something that is very true and hard to hear, but it just <laughs> sits on the humor train and so it just comes right in. I love that. Your concluding thoughts in the book, you um, kind of start talking about the idea that hope must die and yeah. yet you are writing, tweeting, speaking, being interviewed by some stranger <laughs> basically fighting, right? And it would seem hard to do that without hope. Oh, can, <laughs> so for another real softball question, can you speak to the <laughs> can you speak to the hopelessness and its relationship to your drive? You know, if there is any chapter in the book that I feel like I could rewrite and not use not one word the same way, it's probably the chapter on hope. Really? Um, Only because I feel like I am still thinking through it myself and still trying to find language for how hope lives and dies and lives again. Hmm. And I think where I've landed is that most Black folks, particularly those invested in racial justice, are filled with hope, right? Like Mm. the hope overfloweth. Mm. Um, And that is why we can stay in the work. But it's important for folks to realize that hope also experiences death, right? Mm. That I so believe in ultimate hope. I really, really do. I believe that God is coming back and that the whole world will be made right. And I have no evidence of that, but that is what my faith demands of me. Um, but, but I live today, right? Like I don't, I don't live in ultimate, right? Right, I live right now in 2018. Um, and right now in 2018, hope dies a whole hell of a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Again, we're, um, we're laughing or crying right now, aren't we? We're just right. laughing, laugh or cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I really, I'm, I'm really trying to say, I'm really trying to say, I think we talk, oh man, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I think we talk too much about hope, not enough about the way hope dies. Yes. 
I, you know, I do um, because it's so easy, especially in church for white folks to just like live in this optimistic, hopeful, we're getting better. Everything is fine world. And I need us to go back to wrestling with how hope has died, how that asking that vocalist to only be herself on MLK weekend is mm. disappointing. You mm. know, I need us, I need us to go back to that conversation. I need us to go back to the women of color who are listening to this podcast and are really going home every day wondering whether or not their coworkers really respect who they are in their fullness mm. as opposed to what they bring to the diversity pictures. Like, like we gotta talk about that. We gotta talk about the ways that hope is still dying. Um, but it makes yeah. it makes sense though, because it's our it's our humanity. Like as soon as yeah. someone dies, does don't you hear people immediately just say like, "Oh, well, she's in a better place." And it's like, no, just listen. Be in. Can the we set. just like sit in the grieving sit, for a moment? Right. And there's a lot that is not okay. There is a lot that is yeah. not hopeful, and we don't have to. Yep. Hmm. What did your parents think of the book? Um, I think they were surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my, uh, um, Did you give them yes. the final version? I am. No, go ahead. I, yeah, I, so confession, yeah. I have, um, a little brother and a little sister. Yeah. Um, that's in the book. Um, and my brother and I are about as far left as we can possibly get. Yeah. Um, my parents, not nearly as far left. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my dad read it and he was like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Because he, right, right, yeah, right. <laughs> he was like, oh, that's not as militant as I expected, right? Yeah, he was yeah, like, yeah, that's great. That, was, that was actually better than I, than I anticipated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then like my mom and my grandmother, they were like, because we, I, I don't just chat with them about racial, like I'm real particular about when I talk about racial justice, mm. um, you know, because I recognize that I am also a full human being. And so when I talk to my grandmother, we generally are not talking about racial justice. Mm. Like, well, I'm asking her for stories and for recipes. And, you know, if that weaves into racial justice, fine. But I don't call her and be like, Granny, let's talk about white people today. <laughs> you know, that's just not how our relationship works. Right. So she read it and she was like, wow. She was like, Austin, I found your book both compelling and surprising. Huh. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> That was as <laughs> conflicted and honest a statement as she could say. She was right? <laughs> uh, so cute. Uh, oh, she's so cute. I would have loved so, to yes. have heard her read it or seen her just little little soft gasps, you know? I know. <laughs> oh. So funny. Oh, that's dear. But yes, all are very happy with the success of, of the book. Yeah. yeah. This is such a personal book, and you are insanely honest. I am curious what it was like as a writer, hitting send on the final edits, knowing, because I mean, you speak a lot and you seem to be yeah. an open book, but there's something, yeah. there is something different about this book than anything I've ever heard you. Aww, so you, yeah. what was that like for you? I think um, two things. One, me and cousin Brene Brown, yes. we've, the black folks have decided that Brene is now cousin. <laughs> um, me and cousin Brene have had lots of conversations via the wonderful books she has written. Yeah. And one thing that I have learned from cousin Brene is not to write out of my trauma, right? To not write out of a place that is not healed. 
Smart. And so let me say there are plenty of traumatic things that I have experienced that are not in this book. Yes. <laughs> this, this is the stuff that is healed. This is the stuff that I have no bitterness about. This is yeah. the stuff that I um, could talk about with no emotion at all. Mm. And part of the creative process of this book was trying to put the emotion back in it, honestly. Yes. Um, because there are stories that I tell a lot or there are stories that I haven't told, but, you know, have just been like twirling around in my head for years. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so I just want to be honest and say that it wasn't painful um, um, yeah. because none of this is is as traumatic as it was. The only exception to that, I would say, is writing about my cousin. Yeah, that was really difficult. about that. Um, yeah, it was just really, really emotional for me because I still miss him. He actually passed away on Memorial Day. Yeah. Um, so oh. it's been eight years as of earlier this week. Um, and so, yeah, so that was really difficult. But all the rest, everything that like pertained to white folks was not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm still very sorry about your cousin. That was a, that was a very hard <laughs> yeah. story to read. That was really sad. Oh, I miss him so much. I bet you do. Yeah. Um, another writing process question, and we're, we'll just wrap yeah. up here in a second so we can all say goodnight to our little friends. But um, <laughs> you, the way you write is you have just, you're such a beautiful writer. And the way you describe, something I noticed in your writing that is, deceptively hard to do is you described people's physicality. So when you would introduce mm -hmm. a new teacher, you would be able to, or a new professor <laughs> or something, you would be able to, in just a few sentences, give me the full, you use the word, uh, be speckled instead of wearing glasses, which was just like, yeah. it's those little things where you know exactly what kind of glasses that he's wearing because you yes. use that word instead of wearing glasses. Yes. Um, and your, your writing and clarity and brevity in writing just blows me away. Can you mm. share just for writers out there, one or two of your favorite writing tips? Because clearly this wasn't something you just stumbled upon. You have worked at no, this art. No, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, here's the honest to goodness mm -hmm. truth. Um, I, when I first started writing, I started writing as if I was like a academic, like I was like super, super smart and had degrees and yes. things. And, um, and my agent <laughs> who was helping me work through the proposal was like, um, where did my blogger go? Where, <laughs> Interesting. where did she go? And it, it was, I wrote, I started writing differently because this felt so important, right? Like, this is a book. This is not just a blog. It's a book. Yes. I have to must, must write intelligently. Right. And she was like, nope, keep all those periods. Keep using dashes. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's like, right. All the things that you use to write, do that. And, um. So one of the things that I did was I went back through most popular blog posts that I wrote um, that were also fun for me to write. Oh. Um, so I was like, what came out really easily, but also traveled really far? Great. And yeah. And one of them was um, after Dejeria Becton, the little yes. girl who was flung around by the police officer at the pool party. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote yes. a blog post on that, but I started by imagining Dejeria Becton before the pool party. Oh, man, I read that. So I write about her sitting between the knees of her auntie and getting every braid parted yeah. and having to stand up and stretch because she had been sitting for so long. And yeah. right. And really just like imagining this little girl who is all of us, all of us black women, um, and then getting to this moment where she's at a pool party. Oh, man. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, that, that is how I want to write this book. 
You know, I want I want people to feel like they're there. I want people to feel like they're in the room with me. I want people to feel like they know who I'm talking about. Um, I want people to feel like they are watching it unfold um, and are caught up in the moment. And so that's what I try to do. Last question we always ask um, on the show is uh, just how would you, and I don't think I've ever been more interested in anyone's answer than yours, but um, please don't tell that to former, <laughs> oh, I'm former guests. No, 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 no. <laughs> this isn't like some sort of like Jimmy Fallon moment where we're going to sing. I was just wanting to know how you define activist. It's not that great a question. I just always am curious. Oh, man. I'm always curious because it's yeah. such a loaded full word, yet, yet we decided is, to name the show that. Is. So. <laughs> Um, I like to think, um, that an activist is someone who is in the pursuit of changing the world via their actions. Right. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes I belittle even my own, um, activism, um, because it's quote unquote, just writing. And I feel like, man, but look at those folks leading the protest or look at the folks working on prison reform or look at the, you yeah. know, like all the, right. And it's really easy to look at someone else and be like, man, that's the real mm. work. Right. Um, but the truth is all of our skills, all of our talents are needed in, in the pursuit of, of justice. Um, and so I think if all you do is spend time on Twitter, mm. Mm, not mm. sure. Like I need there to be some sort of action that yeah. is that is happening in your life. But I don't think it's like void of social media either. I think social media is a powerful tool to move mm-hmm. forward one's yeah. activism um, and to include other people in that activism. Um, so yeah, so I would I would definitely say the emphasis is on action, um, but what that action is, I think, is limitless. All right. So that was the last question, but now I'm curious: Are you going to let your son uh, watch the finals this year? You said that was you said that was one of the dreams, That's and I, really I was funny. thinking about him. He's got That's to see so a second funny. of it, right? He he actually, my husband is the one who puts our son yeah. to bed every night, and so every time there is a basketball game, that is what the two of them are doing as he yeah, falls. He asleep. has he has to be able to say he saw LeBron this year, right? This might be the last no big way. year, and so he's got to be able. To, you you got to do that for him. Well, that was Austin Channing Brown. I do not think that there is a person that is listening to this that is not kind of spinning and thinking right now about what she said and what she shared. And I would offer this to you as a next step. I would buy her book. I would go to austinchanning.com. I'll put the link to that in the show notes just in case you're driving. Go to austinchanning.com and buy her book. It is also available wherever you do buy books. But I I think that this is an important book for people to read. I think this is actually a pretty critical book for all of us to read. Wherever you come from, whatever brought you to this podcast, your denomination, your race, your gender, your view of the world, I think this is just one of those books that we need to have in our minds and hearts. And you know, I've never pitched a book (laughs) this hard ever on the show, Uh, but it was really important for me and I think it will be for you as well. And I would keep paying attention to Austin Channing Brown. All of her social media and everything uh, is available on her website. Again, that is austinchanning.com. And in case Austin is listening, thank you again for writing I'm Still Here and for being so vulnerable and transparent in our conversation. 
A quick little announcement here about the new activist. It's good news, don't worry. We are going to take a few months off of the show. We are kind of at the end of the season. We've done 10 great shows. It is not going to get any better (laughs) than the conversation we just had with Austin. And actually, we are preparing for a big live event with IJM. It's called the Liberate Gathering, liberategathering.org. You can sign up there and get tickets and join us there, but there's going to be a bunch of live shows there, and we're going to be focusing a lot of our energy and time into that, and so we will not be having brand new episodes for the next few months. However, please do follow us on social media, both Facebook and Twitter. The handles are New Activist is one word. We'll be posting some additional content there, and uh, stay subscribed to the show because we may drop a few surprise episodes. I guess it's not a surprise. We're going to. There's going to be some stuff between now and the brand new season. I'm excited about it. So just keep paying attention as you always do. A huge thanks as always to the Brilliance. The Brilliance love this band. You can find out about where they are touring, where you can buy their music, all of that at thebrilliancemusic.com. As always, thank you to all the folks who have shared the show and have gone over to iTunes and rated and reviewed the show. It is a really helpful way for people to hear more about the new activist and for them to be able to find conversations like the one we just had with Austin Channing Brown. So if you would and you haven't yet, go over to iTunes, to the new activist page, and give us a few stars and let people know what you think of the show. Thank you for doing that. And with that, we go back into the world on behalf of Austin Channing Brown, my colleagues at International Justice Mission, as well as the relevant podcast network. I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends. See you in a few months.